Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. Some of our very own staff members at DMVR are taking MSU Denver online classes this summer. Ali Monroy and Harrison Wind are both taking classes at MSU Denver, and you can reach out to either of them with any preliminary questions you may have. Uh, one of MSU's mantras is learn to lead the change. MSU Denver services Denver and is a steward of the community. They believe in value without compromise, excellent education at a great price, professors who care about you, and formats that fit your life. If you're taking a gap year, because sometimes plans change, our mission never does. Use your gap year to maximize your skills with MSU Denver. And if you want to check out some of the 40-plus programs that will get you a degree all online or check out the 700 plus courses that you could take if you're interested uh, you can go to msudenver.com slash online and find all of the information you need and again if you want to reach out to Harrison or Allie to talk about their experience with MSU Denver you can do that as well Welcome in to the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings. I'm Henry Chisholm, and as always, I'm joined by Andre Simone. And today, we are uh, talking about the AFC North, uh, which should be a fun segment because there are a bunch of fun teams up there. Well, there's one fun team, and there are some fun players, I guess. Well, we'll talk about all that later. But then after that, we're going to get into the secondary and talk through all that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we do that, Got to uh, say just a little bit more about our friends over at DraftKings. The final 22 teams have made their way down to Orlando, and they are ready to get back out on the court tonight. While the ending to this year's basketball season will be different than years past, there will, be, mm-hmm. or there will not be a shortage of excitement, and there's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings, the top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all users a special odds boost for the first three days of the season. Bet $20 to win $100 on any team of your choosing. Taking advantage of these Same. slam dunk offers is easy. 
All you have to do is sign up and navigate the, to the promotions tab within the app. Don't stress if you weren't able to get your bets in before tip-off. DraftKings has you covered with live betting on all mm. games. And if basketball isn't your game, DraftKings offers great odds and promotions on all sports, ranging from MMA to baseball. Oh, DraftKings yeah. Sportsbook is U.S.-based, making it safe, secure, and reliable. Plus, it's easy to deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code DNVR when you sign up for a limited time. All new users, or no, all users can get a special odds boost to bet $20 to win $100 on a team of your choosing. That's code DNVR and boost your odds to $20 to win $100. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay. So, uh, Isn't it great jump- that we're the Draft Podcast and our sponsor has Draft as the first part of its name? What a dream. Had you told me that years ago when I started this? Boy, that, that would have made that would have warmed my heart to know that. I don't know. It is pretty cool. Um, Very before cool. we move on, though, who is your uh, $20 bet to win $100? Mm, we're going to do a whole show on DNVR bets about that tonight. If I was you, I would tune in. I am 19 and 9 since baseball started. I'm up wow. 13 and a half units, kids. Had a wow. five and one night yesterday. Uh, yesterday alone went up 6.24 units. I wish I'd take my own advice and just bet on these instead of putting them on parlays where the one loss <laughs> ruins everything. But that doesn't matter. Um, just don't tell my wife. Uh, my pick, so we'll, we'll be going in depth. There are like four very good options, but I've settled in on the Milwaukee Bucks against the Celtics. That's what I picked too. I also took yeah. the Milwaukee Bucks. I figured that was the good one. But as I've mentioned before, my roommate from Wisconsin, I told him that and he was like, it's uh, not a good bet. And I was like, well, why? That's too bad. Uh, I kind of just blacked it out because I was sad. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, uh, we'll we'll see how everything comes back. You know, the Celtics, I guess, could be kind of scary. But it's Giannis. He's the best player in the bubble. He's going to be able to go win him a game when everybody's rusty. I agree. But it is a scary part because it is the best 22 teams. So there aren't nearly the amount of scrubs to usually pick on. So it's a... It's a gutsy play, but these are always the best times to join in on DraftKings. They always have insane deals anytime a new season starts. And this is one to just, you know, start start betting and go up a hundred bucks like that. So yeah. Yep. And I uh I spent my uh one hundred dollars that I'm going to win on a bunch of futures bets on the Rockies and Avs and Nuggets. So uh hopefully hopefully I hit that bet. <laughs> Uh, yep uh, big fingers <laughs> crossed for old tank guys yeah um so is there anything else we need to talk about before we get to football no, we, no. i haven't seen you for like a week yeah how's uh it's, it's how's the weekly Lucia? show yeah bad bug bite the show started late today because we were on a video call because her ankle's like swollen. I, I, I'm like this too with mosquitoes. Uh, it, it'll get really? kind of swollen. And poor thing, she's too, you know, she's scratching it at oh, night. So it's getting much worse. So we gave her a little antihistamine, you know, to, to decrease the inflammation. And she should be fine. But, you know, poor thing, she, she's bothered by it. You know, we try to distract Aww. her. But once in a while, she's like, gets real itchy and like pissed off about it. You know, it's frustrating. Well, that's too so. bad. How, how's, how's Gallo? Gallo's doing fine, that <laughs> rascal of a cat. He's doing just fine. <laughs> okay, well, that's good to hear. Um, 
Well, I'm, now I feel bad if I don't ask about Kate after going through the rest of the Simone household. Kate's good. Kate's good. Oh, okay. She appreciates you asking. <laughs> okay. Um, I have nobody in my life, so let's talk about football. Nice. Uh, nice. <laughs> jumping in with the AFC North, almost said East. It. Wow, wow. Uh, I don't know. Those are the easy parts of the podcast, just remembering what we're actually talking about after talking about it specifically. But I always screw those up. Yeah. Um, so the first team in the AFC North to make a pick, can't believe I had to look this one up. The Bengals with the number one overall pick, Joe Burrow. Yeah. And I thought they did. Um, they really had one of the best drafts of this entire, um, 2020 NFL draft, you know, only behind the Dallas Cowboys who got an, an A plus plus Bengals come out with an A six top hundred picks three second round grades um, or better. So they, they really took care of business. You know, the first two picks, obviously with Burrow and T Higgins, you can't go wrong. They loaded up on linebacker and got some of my favorite linebackers of this entire class. And I think guys who can complement each other and also provide some depth behind one another. Um, and so, you know, I really think nice job by the Bengals of kind of laying the foundation here. You know, I'm a, I'm a stingy grader being the first team to draft in just about every round. You better pull through and have a, a really impressive haul. And I'd say uh, they took care of business and did that. Yeah, uh, I'm trying not to waste time on this podcast today, but mm -hmm. I do have – I'm, I'm curious if the Bengals are the only team in the league – who had their own pick in every round of the draft and no other picks. Like they don't have any comp picks. They didn't make any trades. It's just round one, pick number one, round two, pick number one, all the way through. That's kind of crazy to see, right? That's the Bengals for you, man. I mean, that's just how they've been run for years. They just don't make trades, especially not with the draft. Um, it's pretty weird, but hey, it seems to have worked at least this year. And well, they're 2-14 last this, year, though. Yeah, well, I guess. <laughs> I guess there's it's a reason they're rough. not getting any comp picks. <laughs> they aren't, they know, aren't losing a lot of players yeah, yeah, <laughs> that are talented right. and getting them comp picks. But yeah, That's exactly right. There's really not one guy here I don't like, though. Yeah, these I are mean, all names that we were talking a lot about. Totally. Totally. Even and like a guy, need. Uh, Marcus Bailey in the seventh. Hakeem Adeniji in the sixth. Yep. Like, so much good value it is kind of surprising i guess to see three linebackers but i feel like it's the bagels they can get players wherever and let them play whenever you know yeah and i think akeem davis gaither is going to compliment logan wilson nicely he can play as a weak side backer wilson can be that classic middle backer and you see how marcus bailey fits in if he's healthy he can compete with wilson for that middle backer spot and maybe even play uh, some strong side in a pinch. But, you know, it, it's a nice pick to make at the beginning of the seventh. You know, you're, you're gambling on a guy who dropped because of injuries, and sometimes they've had some good luck with that, like Carl Lawson. Um, and Khalid Kareem, the, the pass rusher from Notre Dame, I also thought was nice value at the top of the fifth. The big complaint will be they didn't really get an offensive tackle, similar to the Broncos. Um, Hakeem Adonaji, yeah, listed as a tackle. Yes, that's where he played at uh, Kansas. But, you know, predominantly he will be a guard in the NFL. That's where he was used at the Senior Bowl already. Um, so, you know, 
but when when you're picking first and you've kind of had the run the Bengals have had the last few years, you're not going to be able to fill every need. You just got to take the value where it's presented. And I thought they did a good job of that. It's not an A+, plus, if nothing else, because, look, I, I think they had better options than T. Higgins at the top of the set. Uh, that was going to be my next question. Yep. They had yep. Ruggs was off the board, Judy, Lamb, Rager, Jefferson, Ayuk. They had their pick of all of the other receivers in the draft. What uh, Pittman? Why, where would you have gone? You would have gone Pittman. Yeah, if you're going with a wide receiver with uh, size and kind of that outside guy, no. According to my rankings, I actually would have gone Denzel Mims, and then I would have gone Visca, um, and then actually it would have been a toss-up between Higgins and Pittman. They were basically neck and neck, same tier. Um, Higgins actually 28th over Pittman 31st. I surprised myself somewhat with that evaluation. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. huh. Um, any, any other well, guys I, that you would have given thought to there? Like, or here's a better question. How far cool. down do you think Brian Edwards? Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes AJ sense. Hamlin. Um, before we move on from this one, you know, it, it makes sense. You get, you get a new young quarterback, a guy you're really excited about. You want to give him some weapons and young weapons to grow with at the same time. They still do have A.J. Green there. They, they have Tyler Boyd, who will actually be there for a while. The other guys, maybe not quite as exciting with John Ross, Auden Tate, but do you, would, would you have used that second-round pick on a receiver? Yes, and I might have used another pick on a wide receiver rather than a linebacker. Like. Yeah, if it was me, I maybe take Davis Gaither at that Logan Wilson pick and then try to get Brian Edwards. Mm-hmm. Or I just get Brian Edwards with the Logan Wilson pick and I still take Davis Gaither and uh, Marcus Bailey. Yeah. That would yeah. have been okay for me, you know. And I think it's a team that could use the tight end since Tyler Eifert can never be healthy. You know, Chase Claypool as kind of a hybrid tight end wide receiver would have been intriguing too. Um but you know what? You can nitpick drafts to death. Uh, I think they came out with a pretty nice haul, you know, I'll consider. All right. Uh, next pick in the AFC North was the Cleveland Browns. Mm. They took Jedrick Wills Jr., the tackle from Alabama at number 10. The right tackle from Alabama. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, invested a top 10 pick in a right tackle and spent massive free agent dollars in Jack Conklin, right? That was the mm-hmm. Bengals. I'm not confusing the Another guy who in so. the NFL has been predominantly a right tackle. Um, and then, you know, a team that already had David and Joku also goes and spends big on a tight end. So a bit of a confusing off season um, from the Browns, honestly, scheme fit wise, I'm considering, you know, as someone who does this mostly from a Broncos perspective. So I was pretty locked in to the offensive tackles. The Browns taking Wills was one of the biggest surprises of round one scheme fit wise. Because I really thought this new regime was going to go all in on the zone blocking. And I've said all along, Jedrick Wills is perfect for a power scheme. I'm not sure if you're maximizing his talents by putting him at tackle, he's probably best at guard. Um, but you know, he's gap scheme only. You do not want him moving East and West. You want, want him moving downhill and imposing his will on people. Um, and 
the Browns new age, you know, this new age, new era of Browns football should be zone blocking. Um, so I'm very surprised by that fit. Very surprised. And then after that, Grant Delpit, nice value back to back years. You get good value with an LSU uh, stud who we had ranked in the top 15. You get him in the, in the second, um, you know, lots of LSU kids there. Most of whom seem to be, you know, some outspoken team leaders like Jarvis Landry. Some maybe problematic and bad influences like Odell Beckham Jr. Um, so this idea of making, you know, Cleveland LSU North, maybe we should rethink that. Uh <laughs> Jordan Elliott seems like the kind of guy they've invested in before raw, you know, interior penetrator, um, the defensive tackle from Mizzou who they used a late third on. And then they doubled down in the late third with Jacob Phillips, the other linebacker from LSU outside of Patrick Queen, another tight end in Harrison Bryant. Then they do get a center who fits their scheme in Nick Harris, which only confuses the Jedrick Wills pick more. And then... <laughs> From a just raw value standpoint, Donovan Peoples-Jones in the early second, maybe their best pick of the entire draft, taking the talented wide receiver from Michigan who, with their struggling passing attack, never really got to show his talents. You know, it's two guys in the top 100 for me, um, two in, but, but they're higher end guys because they're in the top two tiers. So it's a B minus. Uh, you basically took care of business. You did what you needed to. But the fit, so value-wise, it's a decent haul. Maybe not a great haul with what you did after the first two picks, but a decent haul. Fit-wise and need-wise, mm, a, a bit skeptical here. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, you know, everybody was hyping up the Browns last year, um, thinking that they were going to take the next step. And, and when you look at this team on paper, you can kind of see it. Uh, we've seen good things from Baker Mayfield, and then at running back, sure. you have uh, – Nick Chubb and Kareem Chubb. Hunt, now Andy yep. Chanovich too. And then tight end with David Njoku and Austin Hooper. Then receivers, you have OBJ and Jarvis Landry and oh, yeah. all, all the depth, like guys like yeah. Donovan Peoples-Jones. Also, shout out to Tony Brown from CU and I guess Richard yep. Higgins from CSU. Richard Higgins, that's, that's not right. recent. And then defensively, they have a bunch of talent and a lot of young talent all over the place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What is the problem with this roster? Right, because probably for the first time in a long, I mean, probably for the first time since, you know, the, the Browns were moved from Cleveland to Baltimore and restarted um, the franchise up in the early 2000s, the reason for the losing in Cleveland is not the talent on the field. Um, so that's already, you know, that, that's already a win, I suppose. Um, yeah. But yeah, what was the problem? Well, the problem for one was giving the the keys to Freddie Kitchens, um, yeah. who who I just don't think was suited to to manage all the personalities. But at the same time, the Browns were were kind of caught in a in a tough spot of wanting an offensive mind who they knew could jive with Baker Mayfield and the other talent on offense, but could also manage all these personalities and kind of keep this group into a real team and I'm not sure Stefanski um, coming from the the Vikings where he was yes the offensive coordinator but really Gary Kubiak was kind of overseeing everything mm -hmm. um, and you know we talk about this with coaching hires if I'm 
if it's a coordinator, I want a guy who's calling his own place. Well, Stefanski kind of was, but he was, you know, heavily supervised. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Um, And again, I I don't think you have a strong enough personality to manage this team. Uh, So it it comes at the top, and I don't think the front office really has someone who's kind of keeping standards high and keeping everyone accountable, and it's going to be a new offense for uh, all that talent to learn, for Baker Mayfield to learn without much of an offseason at all. Yeah, man, I I think they're fighting an uphill battle, but that's kind of my take. I think it starts at the top. Yep, I'd agree. Um, And just to add on to that coaching conversation, the offensive coordinator, Alex Van Pelt, defensive coordinator, former Broncos defensive coordinator, Joe Woods, another guy who, you know, things didn't work out for him. And you just don't look through this coaching staff and find a bunch of strengths, except for uh, maybe T.C. McCartney, quarterback's coach. I do like that. I do too. I do so too. I think there's Baker's something lucky going to have him. Yeah. Uh, any yeah. any more thoughts on the Browns before we move along? No, no. But uh, in, interested to see how this scheme works because again, TC another Kyle Shanahan zone blocking yeah. guy. So, what are we doing here? What what are we doing? What why were those tackle picks made if we're going all in on the zone blocking? We'll find out. That is a great question. But uh, moving along now. Oh, looks like the next pick was the Ravens at Nailed 28. It. The Steelers didn't have a first-round pick because of the Minka Fitzpatrick Minka, trade. There Minka we go. trade. Um, so it resulted in one of the three Dolphins picks, but I think it's looking mm-hmm. like a pretty nice trade, especially Definitely. considering, and we should talk about this for a second, the gigantic, astronomical, slightly insane haul Jamal Adams um, was just yeah. acquired for by the Seahawks. Now that Fitzpatrick pick is looking a lot better, um, especially because the, the Steelers have a little more runway before they have to pay them than the Seahawks will with Jamal Adams. And look, a team like the Seahawks probably should be making trades like this with their inability to play the board and really get value. If you're going to do your own thing, then do your own thing and say, who cares about first rounders? We're going to get our guys yeah. in day two anyways um but man that many first rounders they they really when you put the trades side by side with the khalil mack trade they they paid more for jamal adams than khalil mack and just position value talent impact that's stupid you shouldn't do that yeah i agree and and you know i've seen a lot of people say like uh, jamal adams isn't like worth it because of his personality and like he's a loose can that kind of stuff Exactly. No. I don't. I don't buy into that aspect at all. I think that all those arguments are bad. But, I mean, but, uh, it might have been a problem at the Jets, where again, just like we talked about with the Browns, there's no leadership at the top, and those personalities are almost a deterrent. In the Seahawks, they can embrace his personality and maximize his talent. That's not the concern. It's how much are you going to pay him? How much is he going? You know, at the end of the day, the Seahawks would be much better with Khalil Mack on their roster for that price than they are with Jamal yes. Adams. That's the Yes, bottom. especially because, you know, Jamal Adams, he very much is the type of player that I am, like, in love with in terms of defensive football right now. Like, that sure. hybrid does all sorts of different things. That's not really what that Seahawks defense is about, though. You know, I mean, that's what they're known. But you think back to the Legion of Boom days, they were a strict cover three defense. Like, there was no, like, route matching, none of that. It was you drop to your spot 
the exact same way basically every single play. Things might have to change a bit to be putting Jamal Adams in the best situation unless you're saying like, yep, you're the strong safety. That means you're taking this part of the cover three every single play, and that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It's similar to uh, the Isaiah Simmons stuff that came out just yesterday that he, the, the Cardinals say like he's exclusively focused on playing uh, inside linebacker. It's like, that'd be a waste. Yeah, man. I mean, we're going to see. We're going to see. We're going to see. Uh, but back to the, uh, the Ravens pick though, at number 28, uh, they took Patrick Queen, the inside linebacker out of LSU. Um, they're probably pretty disappointed that Jordan Brooks was off the board a pick in front of them. <laughs> what do you, what do you think of the Patrick Queen pick? Unreal. Um, I thought it was a really nice pick for a team that lost CJ Mosley two free agencies ago. Um, and he was so important in their ability to really cover up the middle of the field with those middle zones. Now you get Patrick Queen who just in coverage mobility wise might be more fluid than Mosley ever was. Um, I thought that was an outstanding pick. I thought the Ravens, as always, had a great draft. A for me, five top 100 prospects, three with a second-round grade or better. Really like the fits. Um, You know, J.K. Dobbins in this offense running downhill with the RPO. We talked about that in the running back um, show. Justin Madbuki has one of those premier skill sets as an interior defensive lineman, which had me ranking him higher than the early third. And yet that's where the Ravens are able to get him. Look, I never loved Devin Duvernay late third. I think that's a reach given the the talent here. But they're doubling down on speed and making themselves harder to line up with. Uh, so I can't fault them for that, especially because Duvernay as a returner has some skills there. Mm-hmm. Like the Malik Harrison pick, the Ohio State inside linebacker, he'll complement Patrick Queen very nicely. Um, ben Bredson, the Michigan guard, very nice fit there. Good value. James Prochet, the SMU wide receiver, another guy who's going to bring speed, quickness, returnability to this offense. And Geno Stone, the Iowa safety. Geno Stone, so much of, um, you know, the elite safeties are usually top 100 guys. The Jamal Adams, the Minka Fitzpatrick's, the Justin Simmonses. But you find a lot of guys like Darian Stewart around the league who are high-end starting safeties, but were like drafted at the end of day three or undrafted. And it's because of the IQ and them being reliable last lines of defense. Geno Stone, the Iowa safety, I think could easily be that for the Ravens. Um, So, you know, I I just mentioned like seven guys who could be immediate contributors and basically profile as potential uh, future starters. So for a team that was, has the league MVP, a very young nucleus, and, um, you know, kind of took the league by storm last year. Hell of a haul. Hell of a haul to build. Yeah, and I just really like the way they built this draft class and the way they use their picks. You know, it just seems like they filled everything out the way they should have, where you start with a guy like Patrick Queen. How exciting is that? That is a very talented player at a, an impact position, and that's what they use their first-round pick on. Round two, J.K. Dobbins getting a very exciting playmaker right there. That is so huge for them. And and then, you know, Matabuki, he has like the fun pass rushing skills for defensive tackle, but you're building in the trenches. And and 
after you get that like really fun stuff out of the way, you see that there. You see Malik Harrison, who is not the exciting kind of linebacker. He's a guy who can tackle and he can play the run game really well and brush off blockers. And yep. 10 years ago, he might have been a, a late first-round draft pick, an early second-round draft pick because people weren't so worried about cover skills. But you know that you have to have that guy on your team. You wait until right there when it's a good value. Snag him. Then you build – what's that? Then the next pick, offensive tackle in the third, guard in the fourth, defensive tackle in the fifth, and then take some shots on some guys late. It's They just played the draft the way that teams should be oh, playing yeah. the draft. They always do. Um, you know, as down as I can be on my rankings and my process from time to time, seeing the Ravens produce another draft where they, they – do a lot of what I would have done and rank highly per my rankings keeps me going on this stuff because that it's kind of been a consistent thing throughout. So if I'm doing things that Ozzy Newsome would approve of, I must be doing something right. Exactly. Um, well, well, let's just talk about this Ravens team for a second, just because they are going to be so interesting this year. I mean, first of all, you you have them pick to win the AFC North, right? Yeah, I would. I would. Okay. I, I think the Steelers are going to be tricky this year. But, yeah, I think the Ravens are just adding more and more layers. Yep. It seems like they're getting a lot better yeah. um, year after year, which is so crazy. When you look at this team, what do you think its biggest strength is and what is its biggest weakness? Yeah, I mean, its biggest strength is its ability – I mean, it's very college-like, um, but it's very McVeigh-like too in its ability to look similar on a play-by-play -play basis. And they can add that Kyle Shanahan-type window dressing pre-snap and put you in motion and confuse you and stuff. But its ability to make things look like the same over and over and have this just outstanding arsenal of playmakers to be able to attack you with whether on the ground or in the air. And it all starts with the most dynamic quarterback, um, maybe in the history of the NFL, of course. Um, and, and his accuracy, especially over the middle of the field, uh, Lamar yep. Jackson as a pass rusher is very underrated for his accuracy and timing over the middle of the field. I think he always has. And having guys like Mark Andrews, having those running backs available, Mark Andrews is a real phenomenal mismatch uh, tight end and then having those you know deep weapons like Marquise Brown just opens everything up so yeah they're uh they're excited man. they're gonna be so much fun um where, where do you rank Lamar Jackson among quarterbacks in the NFL I'm curious because I, I've seen people put him in all sorts of different places he's definitely top 10 um I think he's on the verge of the top five but he's outside of that Mahomes, Wilson, um, you know, Deshaun Watson for me. Okay. Okay. I can Just see Just barely it. on the outside looking in. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And it is true that this is a very good offense that he was put into. Like you said, you have playmakers all over the place. Now with Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins at running back. Plus, I mean, you could keep going through this list of running backs. Remember Gus Edwards? He was yeah. – he was great in when, when he had a chance to lead this offense there for a bit. Uh, Justice Hill is exciting as well, but I don't know. Fun team to watch for sure. Uh, 
Let's move on, though, to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, like we mentioned earlier, traded their first-round pick. So their first pick in the draft was the 17th pick of the second round when they picked Chase Claypool, the receiver out of Notre Dame. Yeah, who I had ranked um, fairly highly. And, you know, if the Steelers draft a wide receiver, I'm paying attention because they have had an insane hit rate um, for basically this entire decade, dating back to, you know, Antonio Brown and Emmanuel Sanders and Martavis Bryant for a minute. And, you know, now Deontay Johnson and James Washington looking promising again. And Juju Um, Smith-Schuster too. Yep. And this team added in the offseason – you know, Eric Ebron, one of the better receiving tight ends. And now they get Chase Claypool, who's kind of a hybrid tight end, big wide receiver. Um, famously, you know, he ran in the four threes at like 6'4", 220, and is the only guy at that size since Calvin Johnson to have run that fast. Um, so obviously kind of uncharted upside for this kid. And I, I think they did a decent job the rest of the way too. You know, they end up with just – um one top 50 prospect for me and two top 100 guys. So given where they were drafting, it's a, it's a C plus um, for me. They did what they needed to. They didn't exceed expectations. Alex Heitsmith, the Charlotte edge rusher, um, is intriguing, though. In the late third, you know, just barely inside the top 100, I would have gone another direction. I do like Anthony McFarland and the speed element he brings to their backfield. I like the other Maryland pick they got and Antoine Brooks Jr., the safety, and Carlos Davis, the massive Nebraska defensive tackle, I think has a little wiggle to him for a big guy. And, you know, if developed the right way, could fit their scheme nicely. Um, So it's a decent draft, but, you know, obviously not nearly the kind of headliners that teams like the Bengals and Ravens had. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, Running through this, how much do you expect to see Anthony McFarlane this season? Um, and just for those of you at home, uh, they have James Conner starting, of course, but also Jalen Samuels, uh, Benny Snell behind him, along with like Wendell Smallwood, who I haven't heard of for a while, but he's there too. Yeah, I mean, so much. Well, maybe not. I mean, it's really going to depend more so on the injuries with James Conner on, you know, how much of a factor can James Conner be? Um mm-hmm. And Samuels, I think, will just be a a factor in this backfield regardless because of his versatility and uh, ability as a receiver. But if they feel the need for a change of pace, I could see McFarland quickly kind of becoming this team's running back and them being able to embrace their identity a bit more with him in the backfield because he is going to bring more of a speed element, and I think he's a better shotgun running back. So when they want to go more three and four wide and, you know, hurry up and just kind of let Ben run the show out of the gun, McFarland, if he can be decent enough as a receiver and, you know, enough of a non-liability and pass pro, could carve out a decent role for himself fairly quickly. Uh, uh, What do you expect to see from Ben Roethlisberger this year? Well, hard to say. Um, Yeah. This offseason makes that particularly hard to say. Mm -hmm. But I think we're going to see one of those seasons from a veteran quarterback who comes back and we're like, 
oh yeah, Ben Roethlisberger, like he uh, he makes things work, and Juju and Claypool and all those other guys and Ebron and everything. That all of a sudden that offense is going to look pretty good, and I think they'll be threatening for ten wins. All right, I'm a little bit lower on Roethlisberger, but yeah, I think most people I, are. I, 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 yeah, I think it, it kind of is just like a shot in the dark. What is going to happen with a quarterback who's that old, who played that little last year, but was as good as he was in the past? Behind him, you know, with Mason Rudolph, and I, I wasn't all that impressed with him. Um, you know, maybe Paxton Lynch actually gets a shot to play. Uh, I would doubt it. Who knows? Who yeah. knows? Um before we uh, move on to talk about the secondaries in this uh, draft class, secondary players, I guess, um, what would you, uh, if, if you had to rank these teams one through four, how they're going to finish the season, what order would you put them in? Oh, I think maybe this is the easiest division um, to so. predict the hierarchies in the NFL. You, you just have such clear cut tiers. I think. Um, mm-hmm. Ravens one, Steelers two, Browns three, uh, Bengals four. I might have been a little more bullish on the Bengals in a normal offseason, but you know, Zach Taylor has a lot to prove to me, and I'm not convinced he's going to get this team, this offense, to look competitive under a rookie quarterback that quickly. I totally agree. Um, since it was so easy to put that list in order, uh, if you had to pick one team to like overperform or underperform, um, the spot that you pick them in, who would that team be? To overperform? Or, or either way. Either way. Either way. I guess it's the Steelers. Well, yeah. I, I've been thinking the Browns. Browns are up there, huh? I, I think the Browns have a real shot to overperform. But I don't think they will, though, and that's the thing. Meanwhile, it, like, when have I ever said, like, I'm considering saying the Browns will be the team that will overperform over Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. That's just not a bet I can make, I don't think. No, I don't think it's happening, bro. Okay. Well, uh, that's it for all of the division previews. Or not previews. I guess draft reviews, but also kind of previewing the season. It was a whole bunch of stuff. But uh, now we only have what? We have the secondary right now. Uh, next week, we're going to go through interior offensive line, interior defensive line, and then that'll be it for that. And then we're getting into uh, 2020 college stuff. But before we get to the secondary, I want to tell you guys about Breckenridge Brewery, one of our favorite partners. And I'm pretty excited because in less than two hours, there will be NBA basketball on TV. And uh, I'm ready to sit down with a big old strawberry sky and just stay sat down for probably like six or seven hours watching basketball. Heck yeah. Sounds amazing. Uh, do you want to, do you have any picks tonight? Because I decided I was going to make some bets on these games. Uh, first one is jazz and Pelicans. Second one, Clippers Lakers. Oh, right. The 30th, it does start. Um, yeah, I, I forgot all about that. I kind of <laughs> like the Pelicans. I kind of like the Pelicans. I wish we were getting a little more juice for them. I know. Uh, And Clippers-Lakers are really tough. I'd love – I don't know. No, actually, I think I shouldn't be wanting the Clippers to win. I should want the Lakers to win. Why is that? I guess I'd take the – well, because for the Nuggets, you'd rather – 
the the Clippers could be passed in the two seed. The the Lakers getting jumped oh, okay. in the one seed doesn't seem likely. Um, yeah. How how much are you thinking about that? Because for me, I just don't even really care about the seeding. It's more about the matchups. You know, well, like now, and I'm not, the Lakers can't lose all eight games. You know, they they still yeah, have to yeah. win at least like four to hold on to yeah. that one seed. But yeah, um, and would you rather see the Nuggets play the Lakers or the Clippers in round two? Yeah, in yeah. Round two. Clippers all the way. Really? All, yeah, huh. yeah. See, I was I was kind of leaning the other way just because like the defense kind of scares me. Kawhi kind of scares me. Oh, defense! I feel is like. But the Clippers are a bad matchup for the Nuggets. The Nuggets are a bad matchup for the Clippers. That's what I, I, I keep telling myself to reassure myself. Okay. Okay. That's my hope. That's here. that's good stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But who should, I, who should I put my money on tonight with the Clippers and the Lakers? I mean, I guess go value with the Clippers. I'm torn enough to where you might, yeah, makes sense. You might see some value there. Or you wait it out and put a live bet like halfway through the first quarter. Yeah, that might make some sense. Try too. to get a little better value from the Lakers. Hope they they start a little sluggish. No matter what I end up betting on, though, I can promise you all that I will be drinking a whole lot of Breckenridge beers because they make me really happy. Like I said, oh, yeah. Strawberry Sky is going to be the go-to tonight. Um, and I am just so excited for that. And hopefully you guys are doing the same thing. If you want to try the Strawberry Sky, you can use the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website. Um, it'll tell you where... You can pick anything you want to try up. Uh, you can also go to the DMVR bar. You can go to uh, the uh, Davidson's down south of Denver or most mm-hmm. grocery stores. Also, the farmhouse is open. It's also socially distanced and beautifully set up for outdoor dining. That farmhouse is down in Littleton. Uh, so you, sh- could, you should check it out. Uh, you can also order curbside pickup from noon to 8 p.m. Uh, just support Breckenridge Brewery because they support us and their food and their beer is all really good. Outstanding, um, yes. Also want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at Manscaped. Uh, Manscaped is a- another one of our favorite partners and it's particularly important right now because it's about time to unveil your summer bod. Beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Again, Manscaped is dedicated to help you level up your full-body grooming game. They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, waterproof, cordless body trimmer, and a lot of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. It is the best trimmer on the market, um, especially for those of you who need a chest shave. Uh, which is not me because uh, I like right when I got my manscape trimmer, I, I cut like all like seven or eight of my chest hairs have not made an appearance since. So uh, <laughs> if that appeals to any of you, there you go. Uh, it's like adjustable. You can pick whatever length you want. There's so many options. Um, the crop cleanser is great for keeping your hair and skin feeling healthy oh, and yeah. fresh. And inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver. It's anti-chafing, ball deodorant, and moisturizer. Uh, And it is both those things because the people at Manscaped know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day, like you can now that things are starting to open up. Uh, You can get 20% off your entire purchase and free shipping with code DMVR20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with the free shipping 
at manscaped.com and use code DNBR. Your balls will thank you. Nice. Okay. Uh, positions now, the secondary. Um, pulling up this tab now. Yeah. Uh, you. This is going to be a little bit different one because it's kind of combining the safeties and the cornerbacks. Um, but let's just start up at the top with the first uh, secondary player taken, which is Jeff Okuda. Yeah, man. As I look, look at the top of this corner class, you have to scroll down, I think, Josiah Scott with one of the last picks of the fourth round, the Michigan State corner who went to Jacksonville, was the first corner taken in this draft to measure in under 5'11". Well, I guess Jeff Gladney's 5'10". But he's the one outlier. Everyone else, 5'11 or taller, just goes to show how much size has really been maximized in the NFL at the corner position. You know, the one position that historically size wasn't a requisite, but... um, you know, Seattle's really revolutionized the game. Uh, you know, zone or man heavy, it doesn't really matter. You still need guys, athletes to match up with these freak athletes at wide receiver in the NFL. So we're seeing size being prioritized above all. Um, and, you know, fluidity and speed is also something all these guys have in spade. But it's definitely something that stands out about this class is no shorties until the, four, the late fourth round. I mean, none. And yeah, yeah we, we saw kind of uh, potential get maximized for sure. Potential in big schools, you know, Okuda, Ohio State, Henderson, Florida, two two factories at the cornerback position in recent years. Um, Terrell Clemson, Arnett, Ohio State, again, another factory. Igbonage, Auburn, all the first round guys aside from Gladney are just like raw size, speed dudes who aside from Okuda are all kind of raw but you're going to refine them and you hope they can be turned into that shutdown corner but it's coaches kind of gambling on that um and you know even in the second round Jalen Johnson Trevon Diggs Christian Fulton same deal and OJ Moody and Cam Dantzler at the top of the third kind of fit that mold too you know and I thought Darnay Holmes and Troy Pride Jr. we saw some good corners drop all the way to the fourth it was a it was a deep, talented class which, with a lot of guys who check a lot of boxes. Yeah, and, and it did seem like, you know, there was kind of this hole behind Jeff Okuda before you get to, you know, A.J. Terrell and C.J. Henderson, that tier of player. There, there, there weren't many guys that you look at and say, like, hey, he should be, like, a top 20 pick, but not one of those top five guys. Behind that, though, and this is something that, maybe I didn't realize as much at the time. There really are a lot of very good options. Guys, you could say like, huh, Trayvon Diggs. You could throw him in the back end of the first round. Christian Fulton, yep. Jalen Johnson, uh, Cameron Dantzler is a bit of a stretch there, but I think that there's a world where that could happen. Yep. Uh, it was a very deep group. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, at the time, OJ Moody seemed like he was drafted a little bit early. What are your thoughts now that we're, what, three months removed from the draft? Man, I, my only sticking point would have been I would have taken Darnay Holmes, who was available almost an entire round later, the UCLA mm-hmm. um, quarterback, if I'm gambling on 
you know, a guy from a Power 5 program who's shown his moments on tape, has the requisite size and speed, but also isn't, you know, maybe at the higher end level. That's the guy I would have gambled on. I think OJ Mudia may be a slightly safer pick, while Holmes is a bit of a riskier pick. And then you wonder what kind of background information they were able to get um, on IQ and what have you. Yeah. Um, that might have kind of split the difference. We know that's been very important for the Broncos. And at the position, they have been burned on guys where they've gambled a little more on the, the raw upside, you know, the, the Yadams and the Brendan Langley's, and it hasn't worked out. So maybe they're trying to go the other direction. Um, and Oge, you know, again, another guy who checks off a lot of boxes. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, still 113th on my board, like just barely missed a third-round grade. So it's like yeah. if you go off the tiers, no, he, he did have a third-round grade. It's not even the reach, technically. Yeah, I, I, I think – the more I think about this pick, the more I like it. I remember at the time, like being like, oh, wow, that's a guy I keep taking in these draft simulators. That right. was one of my few hits. Typically got him in like the fourth. Sometimes like the fifth, he was even still around. But I think that maybe since we were all using like the same two, maybe three draft simulators, that may have skewed Broncos fans' opinions. I think that Michael O.J. Mudia makes a lot of sense, uh, and I've kind of grown on him for another reason too, and that's that we talk about how much versatility is important in the Broncos scheme. You know, guys like Kareem Jackson who can play different roles. Guys mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, Bryce Callahan who can move outside if you need him to and how you need those versatile guys to make this whole system work. At the same time, when you're working a lot out of the cover three, you kind of need a big, long, fast guy who can run downfield with speedy receivers and play that deep third. And maybe he isn't the type of guy if you look at and say, huh, I, I like him a lot in the slot. I I like moving him to safety, but he is holding down a very important piece of the defense, especially because the Broncos take this approach that a lot of teams that play a lot of zone take, which is that you really don't need great corners. What you really need is good scheme fits. And I really think that Michael OJ Mudia can be that guy who for however long he's in Denver is holding down one third of the field. Yeah, and he's physical. He plays his best when he's close at the line of scrimmage. He can fit even in those cover twos yeah. where he's trying to attack more shallow zones. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he, um, he's definitely a nice scheme fit. You know, he, 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 he has the minimum requirements for this Fangio defense. So, yeah, you're right. And thinking back, I have him ranked much higher than I did either Yadam or Langley. So th- there's a lot more to be encouraged about in that sense. Yeah. Um, let's see, moving along with these corners. Um, Christian Fulton, that's one guy who we were not as high on, but we'd mm-hmm. seen, you know, a, a lot of people project him as a first rounder. He falls sure. all the way down to being the four, five, six, seven, eight. Is that the ninth corner picked? Maybe the tenth. I counted really fast. At the end of the second round. Crazy. What do you yeah. think of that? He was fifth for me. Um Jake and I talked about him a lot in private as we were kind of finalizing the big board and stuff. We we had a bit of a debate over him and Trayvon Diggs and where Fulton maybe had the slightly higher upside. Um, and, you know, watching more, more tape, Diggs gave up a few big plays too. So maybe the downside, the downside advantage wasn't as big on Diggs's side. But yeah, I mean, a guy had firmly ranked ahead of AJ Terrell, firmly ranked ahead of Damon Arnett. Um, lots of 
yeah, on paper, a first-round talent. You watch his best tape, absolutely a first-round talent, top-20 talent, really. It's uh, when you when you don't see his best tape that you really get concerned. So he's going to have to be locked in. He's going to have to be coached up. And as we talked about in the Titans episode, um, they're trying to replace Logan Ryan, who was the key to their defense in part because he could play out the slot and be a good tackler um, in that nickel defense for them. And that is not Bolton's game at all. He's purely an outside cornerback, purely a man, you know, uh, fluid hips, turn and run with you guy. Um, so, yeah, it, you worry that maybe the Titans are going away from their identity with this pick and that could hurt a bit. And it could that, hurt Fulton, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's move on to the safeties. Yeah. Uh, first safety taken, beginning of the second round. I mean, I guess it depends on what you want to call Isaiah Simmons. We've been going with linebacker. But if you want to call him a linebacker, then the first safety taken was Xavier McKinney. Uh, fourth pick of the second round going to the Giants. Does it surprise you that he was the first one off the board? No. No, I guess not. Um, that versatility made him very appealing. Physicality, playing for Alabama, made him very appealing. Um, maybe a bit of a limited upside, but I, more or less this was where I expected him to go. 33rd on my board, he ends up being the 36th pick, so not too far off. I was a bit surprised that um, four safeties went in the first 15 picks of the second round, none in the first, but then there was a bit of a run there mm-hmm. with McKinney and then Duggar immediately a pick after, and then Delpit and immediately a pick after Antoine Winfield, who maybe will be the steal at the position. Maybe Jeremy think Chin so. is the steal at the position. I also think that is very possible. And um, so, what an interesting group this was. It really is. Um, you see the versatility kind of uh, really pushed into the forefront here. I mean, Xavier McKinney is one of those guys who's very fast. You can move him around. Total. Antoine Winfield, same thing. Uh, Grant Delpit. Chin. Duggar, Chin, all bigger guys who can play like more physically, maybe not like the, the speedy little quick guys you want to throw up in the box to wreak havoc, but it really is all about versatility. Uh, Aside in this from draft. Delpit, really. Yeah. Yeah. Even I mean, he, I feel like you could throw up in the box a little bit, though. Sure, sure. I mean, as a safety, you can't just be the deep, deep safety yeah. all the time. You yeah. Know? Um, but he's not like Winfield, who it's like, oh, he could play some slot. He could be the deep safety. Mm-hmm. He could be, mm-hmm. you know, he can do some Tyron Massiony stuff. And Xavier McKinney, similar thing. And Duggar Chin, it's like, well, they're almost like nickel linebackers at, from yeah. time to time. And they can play in the box and they can do a few different things. Um, Delpit's more like your standard. Um, but, you know, that versatility continues with Ashton Davis and Julian Blackman and Tanner Muse and Terrell Burgess and Kayvon Wallace. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Muse, Wallace, same school, Burgess, Blackman, same school. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're right. It was definitely like versatility is at a premium at this position. No doubt. We had talked a lot about the potential for the Broncos to draft a safety. Um, honestly, any, any of those guys we've named were guys that at some point we said, yeah, I could see it happening. It turns yeah. out the Broncos don't draft a safety. They do draft the cornerback in uh, uh, OJ Budia, but that's the only addition to the secondary. Does that surprise you that the Broncos didn't 
pull the trigger, especially after losing Will Parks, who was such an integral part of the defense, as one of those versatile safeties. Yeah, they had the ability to go either way, and they kind of went with the corner. Maybe that's where they mm-hmm. saw the value. I knew you and I were both kind of pounding the table for someone like Kayvon Wallace, who I thought could yeah. really young. But, you know, that's the thing. They, they're going to maximize that depth at cornerback, at and um, they have some versatility if corners got hurt to replace them. They don't really have versatility the other way, though. Um, so it'll be, and maybe they really like Trey Marshall and maybe with what, how he played at the end of the year, they like Trey Marshall. That's some tape I'd like to go back and watch. I know I wasn't super impressed when I did my grades in those two games, but yeah, they're definitely playing with fire a bit here, um, by not having a safety on the roster. And I wonder how they feel about some of their corners abilities to play safety. Like could Callahan do it in a pinch? Um, I have my doubts. Could yeah. Adam do it in, yeah. my, in a pinch? Um, mm-hmm. You know, is it OJ Moodya? Is it Duke Dawson who can maybe do it in a I pinch? I guess I'm Duke Dawson sure. would be the guy you'd probably point to. But ah, yeah, that, that's be. a tough one. I, I like what you said about that being where the value fell because the, the Broncos took OJ Moodya with the 13th pick, I believe, in the third round. And at that point, it was kind of a turning point with the safeties. You know, yeah. Jeremy Chin went off the board at the last pick of the second round. If he was still there 13 picks later, I bet the Broncos would have at least considered pulling the trigger there instead. Mm-hmm. Um, Ashton Davis, fourth pick of the third round. Brandon Jones, sixth pick. Yeah. Uh, this little mini run, a handful of picks in front of the Broncos. I guess you still had Julian Blackman and Tanner, Mu- or Tanner Muse, Terrell Burgess, Kayvon Wallace, but I do think that there's a bit of a separating line right there before that Broncos pick. Yep, definitely was. And I think that's the other thing, positional value. You know, mm-hmm. Corners are harder to find than safeties are. But as I was talking about with Geno Stone and that Raven segment where IQ and stuff like that can, can make it so that a lot of Darian Stewart's uh, make it in the league, even though the physical profile might not overwhelm you. Agreed. Um, any other thoughts on the secondary? No, not really. Not really. Um, deep group. Jeez, we saw a lot of these guys get drafted. Deep, yeah. deep group. Yeah, no, that's what the, you need. That's the only way you counter all these wide receivers. That's very true. So many safeties were drafted. That really hadn't sunk in until you said that. That is a lot of safeties being added to rosters. A lot um, of scrolling on this list, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of scrolling. Uh Strava Craft Coffee is game-changing coffee that is also changing lives. It does both those two things. Uh, it can also help you with back pain or IBS or all sorts of different things like anxiety um, because it is CBD-infused coffee. Uh, and again, it's changing lives. All the reviews are incredible. If you haven't checked it out yet, now's the time. CBD is not psychoactive. Strava Craft Coffee is not psychoactive. So you're going to be just fine going to work after drinking it. It's basically just coffee for all intents and purposes, except that it helps with a couple things. Um, yep. If you are a fan of Strava, you can now save 20% off your order by heading to their website and subscribing. You have the option of getting your coffee every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks. And again, oh, you're getting 20% off any product that you're subscribing to. Uh, if, awesome. if you decide to pull the trigger on that, or if you just want to use the code DNVR20 to save 20% off of your first purchase, uh, 
tag Strava and tag uh, us at DMVR when you get the purchase. Let them know that you guys are supporting them. Um, you can also sign up and cancel at any time. There are no strings attached. If you aren't ready to commit, it's really not that big of a commitment to order a box of coffee, but you can also go to Carbon Cafe and Bar, Drip Denver, Slow High Coffee, Blue Sparrow Coffee, and Max Market to try it out locally. Uh, all right. Uh, into the questions now. Dre, do you have those pulled up? I do. I'll do you want to take a, the first one? You got it. Pastor Rhett asks. Well, he Rhett. says... First off, you guys have done an incredible job with the draft pod. Went from a when I have time pod to make time for pod. Thanks, Pastor Rhett. Always the best. What's your favorite position to watch tape of? And what's the position most confident in evaluating? Can you walk us through that process? What you look for in that position? Well, my favorite, my favorite position is edge rush, no doubt. Oh, okay. Um, love me some edge rushers just love 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 in fact sometimes i love them too much i need to rein it in and not overrate edge rushing prospects i've i've had to work on that but i love um i love the one-on-one -on -one nature of it and being able to evaluate the offensive tackles they go against at the same time and you know edge rushers come in all different shapes and sizes depending on the scheme um and so what i really look for is how are they getting after the quarterback? What, what's their combination of size speed that allows them to get there? How's their finishing ability? Um, and then I, I, it's very important that they can hold their own against the run, set a strong edge, uh, play low to the ground, use their hands well. You know, I really like to watch um, kind of that quick twitch movement, how they like to attack offensive tackles. Do they like to initiate contact or play possum and then pounce? Um, but yeah, definitely. That's, uh, that's my favorite position. And that's, you know, those are kind of the factors I'm looking for. I still can't decide what my favorite position is. I, I've never really like thought about it. I really do enjoy safeties. Like we've talked about, like, I think it's a lot of fun, especially watching them on tape because you, the way that they move, like they're either like moving their head and you can see what they're watching mm -hmm. or they're moving their body. And so you can see how they're reacting. It is just so like fluid. And so like, it, it just feels like you're in their head, really. You understand what's going on. Same thing with quarterbacks. I really enjoy quarterbacks too. We mm. didn't get into those as much this year for very obvious reasons because the yeah. Broncos have potentially the greatest quarterback of all time in Drew Locke. Um, <laughs> and, but, but it's fun because it's the same thing. You like, get to look around, look at what they're doing. Are they hitting their spots? Are they making the right decisions? And also yeah. what are they being asked to do? Um, which is an interesting piece. I think I'd go with running backs though. It isn't quite as complex, but mm. it's a lot of fun because they're all so different. You know, you get the guys who oh, are like yeah. big bruisers, the guys who's run downhill, the guys who are bouncing around trying to find holes. Um, I think that that is probably my go-to receivers are also a lot of fun though, but that's mostly because they're like flashy and you get the big plays and stuff. Um, I might be more yeah. of like a receiver highlight guy and more mm. of a, actual film of running backs guy running backs are fun lots of nuanced stuff checking out mm -hmm. their feed and seeing mm -hmm. you know how their vision works how much are they able to create those one-on-one -on -one, you know extra carries and kind of 
create something out of nothing you know that's a that's a fun one to evaluate for sure and also there's like so much upside even with the guys you haven't heard of like it seems like every year in the nfl there are a few people who get drafted and are just going off in the nfl and you're like oh you should have been drafted much much earlier Um, and so much of that is like people get bogged down in stats and i think that that might not be more true at any position than at running back for sure 100 percent uh, good you question. Have the questions though. pulled up. I do. I do. Okay. Uh, next one comes in from World of Suck. The lamest 24-hour news cycle of the NFL calendar is when Twitter is filled up with tweets announcing rookie deals getting signed. It's all formality, and the deals always get done. Yeah, I mean, it's it's rare that they don't. I will say that. Like, there's like the Joey Bosa situation a couple of years ago. I guess now that he's right. getting ready for his extension, it must be like four years ago. It's just kind of crazy. But it is really right. rare that there's. So rare any basically never happens yeah yeah especially yeah um but this week i want to pick your mega brains about rookie contracts particularly first rounders the nfl doesn't have nearly the parity that it probably should have with a hard salary cap and the draft set up the way it is more or less the good teams stay good and the bad teams stay bad do you think that part of the reason is because there is such a significant sliding scale in rookie compensation within the first round for example Mm -hmm. The Clevelands of the league have been drafting in the top 10 for a decade. The Green Bays of the league are constantly drafting at the end of the first round. Going off this year's numbers, Burrow is slated to make $36 million, and Clyde Edwards-Elair is slated to make just $10.8 million. So a team like Miami may be paying the four first-rounders that are still on that rookie contract a total of 30 to $36 million, while a team like the Packers may be paying something more like $15 million to its four first-rounders on the roster. Of course, it's justifiable for the higher draft picks to earn more, but how significant of a role do you think that plays in preventing the lower-tier teams from rising? And if it does play a significant role in preventing the league from achieving true parity, would you change the system or keep it the same regardless? For comparison, in the NHL, I believe the entry-level contract is identical for each player regardless of draft pick. Kale McCarr is making $925,000 this year and will make the same next year, which is the same thing that a late-round pick makes when they get signed to their pro deal. Incidentally, the NHL also has the best parity of all the leagues. I got to think it's a major factor. Yeah, I, I, I kind of want to start at like the top here with like the lack of parity. You know, like looking at the Super Bowl teams, for example, the Chiefs, they hit on Patrick Mahomes. They've been like kind of consistently good before then, but it's not like they were every year in the playoffs ahead of him. And then on the other side, you have the 49ers who were very bad just two or three years ago. You know, look at other teams like the Ravens, I guess, have been consistently good throughout like the 2000s, but there have been some ebbs and flows. You know, it's not like they've been powerhouses over and over again. You know, it's not like the NBA where it's like, uh, whatever, the, the Warriors with Steph Curry and whoever, they can just dominate the league for like four or five years, even longer if they'd want to stay together. Or like LeBron James, whatever team he's on, they're going to win a lot of games and more often than not be kind of the favorites to win the title. I think that you see more more changes in the NFL than maybe we're giving them credit for. Um, even if it is more of a process where like the Ravens, whatever, 2012 or a Super Bowl team, they fall down into like fringe playoff team and then work their way back up next year to a true Super Bowl contender. And I think we're seeing the same thing with the Broncos where they've fallen out of the playoffs and they get back. And I think it's more just well-run teams than it is 
a lack of ability to move from one tier to the other? I think so compared to other leagues, yes, the parity is better. Compared to the NHL, maybe not. The NHL yeah. is kind of unique with that playoff system. Yeah. Um, there's just something about playoff hockey and seven game series, um, how, how just volatile goalie play and all that can be and how fast mm-hmm. the game can be and kind of change on the dime that I think allows for that parity. I think where we're seeing what world of suck is getting to though, is we're seeing less parity than you did back in the day. Um, and I think that can be cap related. I don't think it's because of the rookie salary cap though, or what, um, world of suck is um insinuating with this data which i do think is quite interesting but i really think it comes down to uh paying quarterbacks um and the fact is if you have a starting caliber quarterback that's average at best for nfl standards you basically still need to pay him top dollar and set like reset the market that year um you look like at guys like Derek carr um Kirk Cousins, you know, guys like that. Um, And then it does become very hard to win, especially because then there's kind of a sweet spot in free agency where you're overpaying kind of for name tag value, the top guys, but then you're able to underpay those solid veterans that are kind of in that second tier, like the Patriots have been doing for years. Mm -hmm. But the trick in underpaying them is being one of the four or five teams with an established veteran quarterback and, you know, a, a history of winning year in and year out. So you're doubling down because you are one of the few teams who are able to pay your quarterback an appropriate amount. You're not just overpaying him. And on top of that, you're attracting mid-level free agents who, you're, who are probably overpaying better at a better level than their contract would warrant but you're able to get those kind of bargains in free agency because of that. Um, and, you know, it like the rookie pay scale helps a lot. We've seen a lot of teams win recently with quarterbacks on rookie contracts. That's kind of the trick to winning in mm-hmm. the NFL, unless you have Peyton or Brady. Basically, or, the only way you win is by Or having- just like good management. Like, like if you have a John Elway, I'm convinced that John Elway can – build a team around a guy who they're paying maybe I, I mean like if we're calling it overpaying for then i think you can do it you know like like the seahawks for all the bad drafting and stuff they they have been pretty good at like building a team that's winning games at the very least they're consistently making the playoffs and i guess they haven't taken that step recently but they haven't right the back-to-back super bowls were when russ was or the two super bowl appearances were mm-hmm. when russ was on the rookie clock contract yeah uh, i think Patrick that Mahomes can... and the chiefs just won it yeah. because he you know it, it that gives you a huge window that is creating parity but <laughs> if you're not you it also makes it so that you better nail those drafts so yeah. if you're not kind of getting lucky in the draft and landing a generational talent then yeah you're a bit you're you're in a tough spot so that's what's happened is I think the rookie scale combined with the cap has made this middle ground. The middle class of the NFL is much harder to maximize if you haven't already had the good fortune of getting a generational talent in the draft or have one locked down for a long-term contract. Yeah. And, uh- 
getting back to that uh, other conversation just quickly, you know, actually let's jump all the way back to like the LeBron James thing that I brought up before where you see other players all just sign with whatever team he's on and build a super, super team. Like that's what good players the NBA do. And it works. And it's such a small roster that that's going to work every year. You brought that up kind of with the Patriots where they were good enough. They were established. They have Tom Brady. They have whoever else they have. And guys will take just a little bit less money to go there. It's the same concept as what happens in the NBA with the super teams, just at a much, much smaller scale because of the way football works versus how basketball works. Um, with the quarterbacks, like, yeah, having a good quarterback on a rookie deal, that is like the get-rich-quick scheme in the NFL. It's like, mm-hmm. it, to me, it's like the lottery ticket. Like, if you hit it, then yes. boom, you're good, and then maybe you can build from there. I do think that success, or sustained success takes a little bit more than that, and I think that that's tougher, and only the, the very well-run teams can do that. But I also think that the – your margins for error, though, are significantly increased once you have they are. that to start with. And that's where the NHL is different. You just need way more depth in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you look at that, the teams... The cap is tighter in the NHL, too. So yeah, that's that true. naturally decreases the margins for you, too. Also, I think that, you know, as, as much as it sucks to be paying whatever we found out, be like $35 million to first-round picks... Uh, from the or who are still on the rookie contracts, if you're consistently uh, picking in the top 10, you know what? That sucks unless those are actually great values because you are pulling great talents out of the first 10 picks of the draft like you're supposed to. You know, I, I think that there are two things that need to happen for a team to get stuck in that very bottom tier because of this concept, and that is that they have to be terrible at drafting they have to be blowing those first-round picks because those really should be great values, those, those top four guys. I mean, you, Bradley Chubb right now. The Broncos have their one top five pick, and they're paying him, based on this, probably what, like $10 million right now as rookie contract. He's worth more than that. He is still worth more than that. Sure. And those are the types of guys that you should be getting with those top ten picks. You have to, if you miss those picks, though, and you're consistently down there because you aren't be able to pull yourself out of it, then that does cause problems. I look at a team like the Seahawks that's able to get away with missing some picks, and, you know, sure, it, it definitely helps that those missed first-round picks that they've had have cost them five, six million dollars a year less than they would have if they were up at the top of the draft. And if that was a front office that had to be picking up there, they might be making those mistakes and it would hurt the team a lot more than it does right now. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and that's the other thing is these teams drafting high every year. If you're not hitting, then okay, it's time to fire those decision makers Mm -hmm. and start again. So a lack of continuity in the front office and head coaching definitely kind of sets you back and you're, you're kind of always playing catch-up, and that's hard. And, yeah, you're right. You talking kind of brought up a point, I think, that World of Suck is kind of bringing up, too. We, in recent years, the teams to, dra- to have multiple first-round picks have rarely come out as the victors. Um, yeah. And that's because it's the first round, you know, you often – there are 32 picks in the first round. I usually have between 15 and – 20 guys with first round grades, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you're paying, oh, we, we traded a first round for him. Well, you, you, usually when the teams trading those first rounders are kind of teams drafting in the 20s, 
Mets are not really getting a first round talent. And like, it's hard to hit on multiple first rounders. You kind of need to be, again, there's a little luck involved in the draft too. And uh, yeah, it's hard to strike lightning twice. And I think that's another problem here is, you know, you're all, it it seems so enticing. Oh, we're going to build through multiple first rounders, but then you better nail it. And it's it's harder Mm -hmm. to do that than it sounds on paper. Totally agree. Uh, let's move on to Count Locula, my guy, yeah. who says, let's say there is no FCS football this year or very few games. What happens draft-wise to studs like Samori Toure and Trey Lance? Are they left in the dust of the FBS, or is there a method for them to keep their stocks high in light of a lack of game tape? Love the count. You know, that's a good question. And, and we just don't know is the very honest answer. But – you know, I could see a world where you have like all those passing coaches out in California who are always running drills and working with the top quarterbacks. I could sure. see guys like that setting up camps, setting up situations where college football players who are getting ready to go to the draft, but you know, it's not just FCS guys who aren't able to play. There will be more conferences, more schools that'll likely drop out and say we aren't playing football and so there will be even more talent than just the fcs guys they'll be looking for a way to prove themselves and you know if if i were the type of well-connected football coach that doesn't have a job with a football team i'd be trying to build these camps and if you can turn them into opportunities to play 11 11 football like i know in lacrosse they started like the premier lacrosse league like five years ago four years ago as a rival to major league lacrosse which is what like the Denver Outlaws play in. There's like 10 teams or whatever. Uh And when they started the PLL, they were basically just offering bigger contracts to these guys um, in the MLS, even though they only had two teams. And so those two teams would just keep playing each other. And, oh yeah, I said MLS. But yeah, they, they just play each other. And I could see a situation like that where they just bring in a bunch of talent, teach them how to play, like let them showcase each other. That is like a very obscure answer that likely, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. We got into deep hypotheticals on that one. Yeah, we did. Um, We did. (laughs) That sounds like a bunch of nonsense to me. I think, um, I think you're going to be going off of the tape in, in 2019. I mean, but but what are all these guys doing then? Are they just like working out at home? Yeah, you're working out. I mean, right now they're working out with the colleges unless activities have been suspended and that's only happening in a few places. I don't know. I feel Um, like they're going to find some way to get on a football field and play. But, you know, like Trey Lance isn't going to be left in the dust. It's going to suck for him that he didn't have this year to show, like, improvements in his game, but he's just in the same boat as everyone else. I mean, it's going to be like the MLB draft where, hey, you didn't have a season to showcase your stuff or kind of going off the preseason rankings. Semis, Samori is the bigger problem. You know, yeah. And there are these guys who, and maybe that's a guy who's better off than Montana wide receiver staying at school one more year. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I don't know, signing a CFL contract or something. Like, we truly don't. That's what I was trying to figure out is like, where there isn't much else for fall football, which is kind of the big problem in my world, at least. Like, there's no minor league, no like, like the XFL in theory could have worked, but there is getting into a whole different discussion. There is no alternative to going to college and playing college football. Like that is why that's a monopoly. That's why the players have basically no rights because they don't have other options. But I mean, 
does it matter though? Like, does it matter if we play this season? Like, isn't everyone going to be set back if it comes to that anyways? Unless like, will I there could... even be a draft? We'll see. I or maybe see... is it just a two round draft like the MLB where it's shorter, you know? But I do think that, you know, there's a very real possibility that only the power five conferences play and nobody else plays football. And does that mean that teams just say like, oh, sorry, everybody else, we aren't going to draft you. And if you're one of those players, though, you've got to find a way to do something. That's not happening to the big names like Trey Lance. It's not not to Trey Lance, but to most of the other kids. A whole yeah, bunch of them, yeah. be hurt. But they'll have next year. They'll oh, next a year. lot of them. I guess yeah. they'll probably retain eligibility. But that's oh, the yeah. other thing that they're talking about in college sports is like, a lot of the athletics departments can't afford to pay an extra year of those scholarships. So like, can they like afford to even keep them around for that extra year? And if we're talking about schools that aren't power five schools, it becomes a lot less likely. Um, you know, that's a discussion that Colorado the had thing to have is, this year. As long as you're a guy like these two, who's already made a name for themselves, you will have somewhat of you're in NFL circles already. So, you know, it, you'll have some decisions to make, whether to go back to school or not, whether to transfer or something. But you, you're not just, it's not like all of a sudden the NFL dream has died because these guys were in the FCS, regardless of what happens with playing mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question, though. We'll uh, stay tuned to that for sure. Ooh, another one from the count. He says, okay, I got to ask, and you probably have already ranted about the lunacy of this trade. But what are the long-term ramifications for trading away multiple first-round picks? Granted, the Hawks seem to eschew any notion of what first-round value is, but what will the lasting effects be, and what would they be for most teams? Love the count. So we actually kind of already talked about this, and we took it the other way. It's like, sometimes getting multiple first-round picks isn't as good as it sounds, and losing them isn't as bad as it sounds. Um, it like well, takes a lot, out of, a lot of fun out of a lot of the year that there's typically no fun, but it does depend on hitting on those picks. Yeah. And I think gaining them maybe benefits you less, but losing them probably hurts you more just be they're, they're lottery tickets. So mm-hmm. the more you have, the better, you know, they're just shots you're taking in the dark. The more you have, the better opportunity you have of hitting something. Um, and that's where the Seahawks could hurt themselves. But, piggybacking off our last answer maybe this is the draft where you want to give up a couple of picks and true because maybe there isn't even a third round next year and it's like yeah um that so, is that's a very good point maybe this is the time to be trading away a first round draft pick but it's just we don't know what's gonna happen deep price to pay for a safety and it yeah. doubles down because you're paying you're you traded all these future assets away to build your team long-term with, and you have to pay Jamal Adams, the sa- you know, taking away a lot of your cap flexibility, which was your other main resource to improve your team. So you better hope this team is close to like 95% of what they're going to be because your opportunities to improve this group have decreased significantly. Yeah, yeah. I mean... What it comes down to is Jamal Adams needs to be a Hall of Famer, like or at least be in that Hall of Fame discussion, which, you know, he has the talent to do. Um, obviously, like there's the whole history of safeties in the Hall of Fame, but like him being that's him pretty chancellor good, I'm not sure is going to be enough. 
I, he needs I to would be agree. more than Cam Chancellor. Like Earl Thomas, good. Yikes, that's asking a lot. Yeah, it is know. asking a lot. I mean, because he's that's not his position. True, and that's the. I like he's know, but, more Troy Polamalu. Yeah, than he is Earl Thomas. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And I would say he's more Kareem Jackson than he is Troy Polamalu at this point too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, yeah. but Samuel Bisu says, "Hey guys, loving your work as always. Do you think Thank the Broncos you. would have drafted Lavisca if he was available when they picked mm-hmm. Hamler, or was Hamler their target all along?" This is a question that's kept me up at night. Um, I've spent a lot of my time wondering this exact thing. And the conclusion I've come to is that the Broncos wanted speed. They've seen what speed does. They didn't have enough speed. They wanted somebody who could just rip a defense up deep. And they got that with Hamler. You know, maybe it would have been a discussion if a guy like Visco was there. Maybe they would have gone for the versatility, um, having that sort of piece. But I think that choosing Hamler, especially over some of the other guys who were still available at that point, right. shows that they were looking for something else other than Visca. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like 80% certain that Hamler would have been their guy regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there was some real intrigue with Visca, probably even more so prior to Melvin Gordon being signed. Yes, um, yes. And I think once Judy was on the roster, there would have been a thinking of, you know, this guy's versatile enough, can play in the slot, like to where we could take kind of a luxury pick in Visca. But yeah, at the end of the day, more likely I feel like what you just said is correct, that they wanted speed. Hamler was a guy they just locked in at regardless of who they were able to get in round one, regardless of who was around in round two. And yeah, they just got their speed weapon. They got basically like a millionaire version of um, Deontay Spencer. And now they can do all that gimmicky stuff and use them as a pure slot and have the speed factor. And it just opens up everything for them. And I think they just love Hamlet. But it's interesting. And there is part of me that wonders, "Hmm, maybe... Maybe Visca would have been in play. You made a really good point about the Melvin Gordon thing because, you know, I've brought up before, but 19.5% of the Broncos' offensive plays were either runs or passes uh, that were caught by yep. Royce Freeman or Devontae Booker. Melvin yep. Gordon was brought in to be that 20% of the offense exactly, not to be any yes, more sir. of it and cut into any of Phil's stuff. Um, you know, Phil was only at like 23, so it's basically like the same thing either way. Right. But there just aren't any more touches to go to a running back. And I've talked to Visca about this. He is going to play some running back and maybe even more running back than you'd think with the Jaguars. Yeah. Um, that does definitely affect the fit. Uh, the other thing that you were saying that this just kind of popped in my brain when you're talking about him being like Deontay Spencer, like the, the better Deontay Spencer. Yeah. Deontay Spencer wasn't supposed to be doing all the things he was doing last year. Deontay Spencer was supposed to be the guy who was backing up a guy like KJ Hamler, who is already probably really good at doing most of those things. That way, when Deontay Spencer gets out there for like, you know, knock on wood, the game that KJ Hamler misses because everybody misses a game at some point in the season or like the snaps when KJ Hamler's on the bench, he just shows those flashes and gets all of us really excited to see him. We're all pounding the table wanting to see more while he's having a chance to grow. That way he doesn't disappoint us by not being everything that we dreamt of when we heard, wow, 
fast guy, Godspeed, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's easy to dream Godspeed. on speed too. Um, yeah, it is. But no, I agree. I agree. He's. Uh, I think they had a mold in mind and liked him. I think they liked Visca too, but um, yeah, I think I think they kind of have a very specific idea for him. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's going to do it for today's show. If you guys have any questions for us, as always, you can leave them in the comment section of the post for today's show at ddmbr.com, and we will get to all those next week. We really appreciate them. Shout out to Samuel Bisu and The Count and World of Suck and uh, Pastor Rhett for contributing to the show this week. Uh, We'll be back wrapping up our positional reviews of the draft next week, and then what will that be? That'll be like August 10th or so. We are going to be jumping into – 2021 NFL draft prospects. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, Getting to break out the film, not that it's physical film. I almost said like the Apple TV or like the YouTube app and start watching a whole bunch of old college football games because this is going to coincide with all my buffs research well-planned and uh, hopefully there's a college football season and hopefully it doesn't get canceled before we talk about all these guys. Um, We'll be back next week. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Have a good week and win some money on some sports. Sit Jay on the board.